0: Welcome to Pure Curiosity. This is your host, Iris McAlpin, and I invite you to join me in this exploration of what it means to be human in our modern world. Here you may find answers, but I hope you'll find even more questions and allow curiosity to guide you forward. Let's begin. Hello, how are you? I'm so good. Thank you for having me. Oh, shoot. Sorry. (laughs) Rewind. Okay, this is is perfect. I love this. Okay, (laughs) this call is being recorded. Um, (laughs) Let's start with you. Who are you? What, What is your your field? What are you passionate about? Let's just dig in.
1: I love it. I love it. So I'm Dr. Jen. I'm Dr. Jen Douglas. I'm a clinical psychologist here in California in the Bay Area. I'm a clinical assistant professor at Stanford University School of Medicine, and I'm also a mom, a partner, and I spend a little time on social media talking about perfectionism. Mm -hmm.
0: Very cool. Okay. Well, perfectionism is a topic that I think is relevant for so many people. So many people. Yes. And I have no idea what that must be like. Um. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no one needs a therapist does I know. anything about it. Yeah, of course. Um, <laughs> I, I'd be curious to hear what sort of got you interested in that topic in the first place.
1: Yeah, I really appreciate it. It's kind of a funny journey. I uh, Most people who trained in my program were sort of generalists. And I call myself a serial specialist because I am less interested in kind of the general thing. So I became, I was going to be a lawyer and then I took a class on eating disorders because it was at one o'clock, which meant I could go out and party the night before and then sleep in during college and then go to my eating disorder class at one. And it happened to be with one of the experts, main experts in the field. And it changed my life. Mm-hmm. And I said, I'm going to go to graduate school and learn how to treat this. So I was an eating disorders specialist. And then I really realized that I needed to learn how to treat trauma. Mm-hmm. And which is why I love your work so much. And so then I learned trauma treatment and the intersection of especially, you know, womanhood, societal expectations, trauma, eating disorders. And then what I found is more and more, you know, even when I wasn't treating disordered eating and wasn't treating full-blown trauma, that these threads of perfectionism would come through as a means of protection. And so protecting our ability to be attached to our caregivers you know, to be loved by partners, friends, you know, even our boss at work always needing to be in a good light. And that usually had to do with difficulties growing up, you know, emotional unavailability, trauma, high expectations, societal expectations. And so it's really been this thread that's been so common through a huge diversity of clients who I see, but you see it through immigration stories you see it through high achieving families you see it through you know hardship that that's sort of the coping skill that many people rely upon especially in the united states and like so many things so many coping skills a certain dosage is quite healthy and then it's kind of like a seesaw where it tips into not so helpful for us
0: that's so fascinating. I don't think I actually knew that you started with eating disorders and then yeah. came into trauma because that was exactly, once I started working with eating disorders, I realized yeah. trauma is <laughs> like really what's going on. Yes. And yeah, that's so interesting. Very, I mean, it makes sense that I also really resonate with everything that you share. <laughs> um, are you willing to share a little bit? Is that something that you had personal experience with or... Um, was this just something that you became interested in and fascinated by?
1: Yeah. So I have always said I'm like the one person in in eating disorders who hasn't had an eating disorder. Oh, interesting. And yeah, and it's it's very bizarre, and it's part of why I actually don't talk about it on social media mm-hmm. because I like to kind of defer to folks who have lived experience. You notice know, like I don't talk about eating disorders on social media, even though I do treat them in my practice. Um, I do have experience with trauma, um, with childhood trauma, which I'm sure has a lot to do with my own perfectionism. And it's such a, it's just really a, a wonderful thing. I think, I think it's a wonderful gift as therapists when we haven't had perfect lives, when we've had our own hardships, because you can, you know, when, when therapy is really going beautifully or even teaching, you know, supervising whatnot, you can feel and kind of, um, you can really engage with how someone's feeling and you can, you can say things that will surprise them that you understand that level of what they're going through. And I don't know if I could get that from a book. You know, I try in the eating disorders, you know, I've, I've worked in eating disorders for now, 14 years. And so, you know, I can hit it often, but not always. Um, but the trauma work has always come very naturally to me.
0: Mm-hmm. That makes so much sense. I used to actually feel like, I think earlier on in my recovery, I felt like it It was important for a therapist to have that lived experience. And the deeper mm-hmm. into the trauma world I get, the less I feel that way, actually, mm-hmm. just because that's really what we're talking about at the end of the day. There are these behaviors and these, you know, coping strategies that we're, we're looking at on the surface, but what's, you know, going on underneath that is, is really usually trauma. I don't want to say always, but it's usually trauma. And so, yeah, that's, I just was curious about that. You said something, you said something that I wanted to put a or expand on a little bit, which is, you thought your own childhood trauma may have had something to do with your perfectionism. Yes. <laughs> I I mean, I, I hear that and I'm thinking there might be somebody listening to this wondering, well, what do they have to do with each other? Absolutely. And so
1: I talk about this a lot in my perfectionism course about the ideology, sort of where perfectionism comes from. And I had this beautiful, um kind of constellation of almost all of the the avenues to it in my family so i'm the daughter of an immigrant mm-hmm. and so there was a lot of you know pressure on both my father to make it and then the next generation to sort of you know not only assimilate but also be very successful mm-hmm. i come from a family of academics so like 40, no, like 60% of the people on my mother's side are professors. Oh, wow! <laughs> yeah. It's like no pressure. And then, <laughs> and then I also had the experience of, you know, difficult things happening when I was young. And so often when children are in that situation, there is the tendency to want to, you know, I always give the example to many of my clients of sort of If things are tumultuous at home and you can get a good grade on a spelling bee and come home and say, look at this, look at this great thing that I did, and that calms the situation, even for five minutes, you're going to do everything you can to get that A on that spelling bee. Mm -hmm. And so that thread, you know, when I, when I talk to folks about it, there's usually some version of that, that they're doing doesn't have to be academic can be anything else can be being funny, can be, um, being great at sports, but there's something about, well, if I achieve and if I do good, quote unquote, in the world, then things will calm down around me.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's perfectly articulated. Yeah. It's I'm interested. That's sort of the protective side. Yep. Excuse me. My (laughs) throat is just barely hanging in today. Um, That's sort of the protective side. And then, like you said, it's the seesaw that kind of can tip over. And so I'm, I'm curious if you have a sense just from working with a lot of people over the years, where does it start to tip? Like, I think a lot of us have at least some little threat of perfectionism within us. Our culture obviously reinforces it quite a bit. How does that start to tip over into this territory that really gets us in trouble sometimes? Yep. So there's some kind of,
1: um, there's red flags and then there's pink flags. And mm-hmm. The pink flags come before the red flags. So the pink flags might be when I'm engaging in a perfectionistic behavior and it stops being enjoyable or I stopped getting, you know, having any fun with it. So for instance, I have a friend who like took a cake making class at Michael's or something like (laughs) that. And she makes these beautiful cakes and it's adorable. Right. And so she has joy in making these gorgeous things, you know, for her nephews, for friends, all these things, that's all great. But if she went too far down that rabbit hole and was, you know, making it with almost a tinge of anxiety, you know, staying up late ending up tired at the actual party because she was spending so much time on this cake. That's where we sort of, okay, that's pink flag area. And then when you get into red flags is more when you start to lose, you know, similar to how we talk about eating disorders, when we start to lose um, ability to engage in other things that matter to us. So as someone who is entering the journey of motherhood, you know, we talk about this a lot of sort of, in the quest of being good moms, you will often see women doing so much research and trying to figure out the best, you know, sleep method, the best stroller, the best whatever, when really, you like giggle, <laughs> um, really, What are you talking about? We,
0: I've never heard of such a thing. Yeah, feelings. I definitely didn't <laughs> do that either.
1: Um, when really what our kids need is our presence and our time and our, our unadulterated attention, not that anyone's going to be, you know, fully present all the time. But when the perfectionism starts taking us away from what matters to us and sort of the end goal, that's when it becomes kind of the screen in between our values and ourselves. Mm -hmm. And then the sort of deep crimson flag, and this is when perfectionism, when I really encourage folks to get help for perfectionism, is when we are so focused on external kind of signaling that we are okay, that we are good. And we're so focused on perfectionism that way that we start losing our own voice or our own perspective on what we enjoy, that we don't speak up about our views, that we hide, that we edit ourselves. And eventually you can have people who walk into my office and say, you know, I don't, I don't really know what I want and I don't really know what I like in life.
0: Yeah. That sounds really familiar too. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Yeah. That was something I struggled with so much. And I think maybe something that might, help some people out there because I didn't identify as a perfectionist for a long time because I didn't think I was perfect enough to be a perfectionist. <laughs> of course not. No, no
1: perfectionists identify because they're like, there's all these things
0: wrong. Exactly. It's like, well, I'm not doing this well enough. Like, I don't look pretty enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not this enough. Like, how could I possibly be a perfectionist? I'm failing at everything. It's like, oh, maybe that <laughs> might be an indicator of something, <laughs> you know, you can't see the forest for the trees. Yeah. So, um, (laughs) well, I'm glad you brought up this sort of, um, parental perfectionism. I mean, it's something that I I know that I'm going to have to keep a steady eye on in myself just because, you know, I think for so many parents that fit into that camp, the intentions are so good. It's like, we want the best for our children. We want to, you know, be present and attuned and all of these things, but then I feel like with perfectionism it kind of keeps us locked up in our minds. Like always analyzing the situation or trying to figure out what to do next rather than dropping into our hearts and just being present and enjoying you know the beautiful little human in front of us. What are some things that I mean I know you have a whole course on this but for people that are listening that may identify with that What are some things that can help people start to step out of that perfectionistic Mm -hmm. drive?
1: Absolutely. So, so one thing that we always talk about, you know, no matter where we're, what behaviors or thoughts we're looking towards, is really increasing our awareness of what's when it's happening and how often it's happening and affecting us. So even when I ask someone, I often ask somebody after the first or second session to kind of go home and and start to recognize how much pressure they're putting on themselves and how often this thing is coming up. And so if I can encourage folks to really just stop and observe and see how often they are really getting hooked into the perfectionism cycle, Mm -hmm. and I still do this with myself, I have to keep my own perfectionism in check. Obviously, Um, especially around, you know, stressful things like the holidays or, you know, X, Y, Z. Right. So it comes in seasons. But if I'm on like the sixth page of Amazon for something, okay, for like my three year old's like hair wrap towel, that's probably a good sign. I'm down the rabbit hole and I'm getting diminished returns for my effort. (laughs) <laughs> just as an example I was literally doing that yesterday <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah I literally talked in my course about like if you've read 200 reviews of a, you know a product directly <laughs> that's a sign we might be down this and and like we're smiling and laughing now you know my favorite mindfulness teacher um ticked Han he taught he talks about smiling at our difficulties yeah. and so perfectionists are so good we're so good at being hard on ourselves that often you know, people will catch themselves being perfect and then be mean to themselves for being perfect. Right. When really, when I'm scrolling and I'm and it's like eleven o'clock at night and I should be sleeping and I'm looking at some, you know, whatever toddler hair dryer. I I can smile at that and I can giggle and say like, okay, like there's this old habit and it's out of like you said, it's out of love, it's out of wanting to be a good mom and wanting the best for my kid mm. and. She'll probably be okay with whatever hairdresser. Right. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Or like she's yeah, gonna make it. She's gonna be okay. Um, yeah, because like so many coping skills that come from anxiety, we we um, participate in perfectionism to cope with uncertainty. Mm-hmm. And none of us can be certain about how well we're parenting, how well we're doing our jobs, how well we are presenting in our relationships. But it's this red herring that distracts us from the actual meat of what we need to be working on.
0: Mm. So glad you brought in the aspect of, of levity and just being able to smile or laugh at our absurdity in a way. Mm-hmm. It's so powerful. And I, yeah, I used to have a really hard time doing that. And it would just go into this, like, you know, what's wrong with you and the sort of berating type of self-talk. And I can't really pinpoint any one thing that helps me do this. I think it was a lot of little things over time. But, you know, I, we're pretty funny creatures, humans. Like, we're pretty <laughs> absurd. We do a lot of silly things. And the more I've been able to just kind of appreciate my own absurdity, the, the less seriously I'm able to take myself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, it's humbling. It is yeah. Very <laughs> deeply in the best way. Um I'd be curious to hear a little bit from you. You know, it's obviously you have a lot of self-awareness about your own patterns. How did that evolve for you? I'm imagining you didn't just wake up one day and suddenly recognize, <laughs> yeah. oh, look at all these things I'm doing. So you're gonna love this as someone who is
1: with child and going to have a baby quite soon. Mm-hmm. Um so before I had my kid, I could pull it off. You know, I would and I love what I do. You know, I love being a therapist and so I could work until 8:30 at night and I could maintain all my friendships and I could still work hard at my relationship and I could, you know, do all these things and, you know, be the good daughter and be the person who remembered all the birthdays, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And then I had a baby (laughs) (laughs) and I couldn't, Yeah, I couldn't do it all or I could do it all, but I would be exhausted. I would be resentful. I would be overwhelmed. And my whole life would have turned into work. Mm. You know, even the things that we love and are fun perfectionism can turn into work very quickly if we're not careful. Sure. Right. And so it was this wonderful experience of an exposure to imperfection that I couldn't avoid. That was the thing I wanted most. It took us about a year to get pregnant. So fertility problems. And so we really, really wanted this baby. And so there was no doubt in my mind that that was the most important thing. And then you're, you're suddenly in charge of this thing that you can't do perfectly. You can follow every rule and they're still not going to sleep some nights or they're still gonna, you know, do whatever. And, you know, it's, it's humbling. And then I had to figure out like, Hey, I can't just work harder. I can't just be smarter. I can't just read books about this. Like this is, this necessitates a willingness to be imperfect and show up. Mm-hmm. And I really had to reorganize my life. And I changed, you know, I worked, I changed my job, I started to work for myself way more and way less at the university, I changed where we lived, my husband changed his job, so much of our lives changed, and in a really positive way, but in a way that I would have previously deemed as problematically imperfect.
0: Mm -hmm. Thank you so much for sharing that. I mean, you know, I'm seven months pregnant right now, and even pre-child, I am mm-hmm. experiencing a lot of what you're describing in this, yep. <laughs> just because my pregnancy has been so difficult, and mm-hmm. I I could get away with it more mm-hmm. before, yep. for sure, yeah. and then my capacity yeah. got chopped in half, basically. It's like, oh, yeah. wow, you know, I, I can't just muscle through this, yep. nor would that be advisable, but... Yep. Yeah, it's it's been humbling on this very, very deep level, and I know that's only going to continue as I go through the parenting. <laughs> Welcome. Drain. I know. I, that's how I continue to conceptualize it because I feel like if it had, if I had been one of those women who could just go full steam ahead, like right up until I go into labor, which some people are able to do, mm-hmm. I think that would have been a really rude awakening. <laughs> it would have been yeah. a really rude awakening. <laughs> And so it is kind of life has sort of forced me to to have a little bit more of an on ramp. And uh yeah, it's it sounds like such a an interesting. I mean, the the part of me that's very interested in in all of this, like developmental psychology stuff is going to be fascinated the whole time, but I know my part of my human self is going to to struggle to to not feel in control because you're not in control and not be as productive and you know all these things that we're told we're supposed to do to be valuable members of society and you know all of that yeah yeah Yeah. something I'm curious about just because I know you live in or at least my understanding is that you live in sort of the epicenter of technology
1: (laughs) of perfectionism and anxiety yes
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'm so curious to hear your thoughts on how our our devices, how social media, how modern technology mm. is sort of coming from perfectionism and also accelerating the amount of perfectionism that we're seeing especially in in young people. Absolutely, absolutely
1: you know, and I remember my undergraduate thesis was a replication of the Fiji study for eating disorders, where for the, for folks who don't know, they did this study where before Fiji got television, they gave eating disorder surveys. Nobody had eating disorders. Then when Fiji got television three months later, you know, 12 year olds were, you know, vomiting and doing all these things. And so, um, I replicated that study in Cameroon and saw the same thing. Um, but And that's just with TV. (laughs) And now, you know, and I I talk about this with body image, but I also talk about it a lot in terms of motherhood. Because when I was growing up back in the day, before (laughs) there were cell phones, um, you know, the things that were coming at us were TV and, you know, magazines that were in the grocery store aisle. And that's what we saw. That was terrible. And eating disorder skyrocketed. And now... We wake up and often open our phones and we're see we're bombarded with images of unrealistic perfectionism, you know, whether it's photoshopped bodies, whether it's the perfectly curated, you know, decorated home, you know, even though there are three kids, there's not a, you know, thread out of place. And we're seeing that before we even have our morning coffee. Right. So the relentless of it, the relentlessness of it um, and the comparison now is so much worse because of social media. And, you know, we have all of this data that it's terrible for for our mental health and especially young people who have grown up in this. Yeah. I mean, it's incredibly difficult.
0: Yeah, I keep seeing articles. My husband and I have been, of course, researching this a lot. Um, <laughs> but just all of these people in technology don't give their kids devices. Yeah, and I find that disturbing. <laughs> but I, you yeah. know, it's is indicative of something yeah. that there's something going on, and you know, especially when we're so little, so impressionable. I mean, I, I didn't have this problem. I'm. You know, am I a digital native? Yeah, I'm not really a digital native. (laughs) Um, Certainly didn't have, I don't think I had my first smartphone until I was 20 something. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah, I just can't, I can't really even fathom what it would be like to grow up with an iPad Mm -hmm. in your hands and have access to YouTube and, you know, whatever else kids are looking at these days. and. It is a little, it is a little alarming, especially all the, you know, the filters and the, just the curation of what aspects of people's lives they choose to show. I wasn't aware of airbrushing until later. You know, I, I I would look at catalogs and magazines and assume that that's how people looked and I would compare myself to that, but there was still some kind of sense of like, this is a model. And, you know, it's their profession to look like that. It didn't really help that much, but it helped maybe a tiny bit. (laughs) But when it's like every person you know who's, you know, airbrushed their photo of them at the pool with their friends on a Saturday, then it really starts to sink in. Like, oh, everyone else looks like this and I don't. So there must be something wrong with me or everyone else's Christmas tree looks like this. And I didn't, you know, do my perfect Pinterest worthy holiday decoration or whatever the case may be for people. But yeah, I just think that comparison starts to get so much more intense. Yeah.
1: Well, and, and one of my favorite things about working on perfectionism in particular for parents or people who want to be parents someday and doesn't have to be parents, can be teachers, can be, you know, just people who want to have a positive impact on people around them, whether it's friends, you know, nieces, nephews, all these things is that when we break the pattern of perfectionism, it's an intergenerational transfer. Right. You know, I see perfectionism in my parents and in their parents as well. And For most of us, luckily, there's usually less of a threat to, you know, our livelihood, our security as the generations continue. And so it's a big step for us to notice that, hey, I don't need the level of perfectionism that say my parents needed to have, Mm -hmm. you know, to get them out of poverty, to get them, you know, assimilated into the US, all these things. But when we are raising children, it's this beautiful motivator and and we can catch ourselves in in such rich ways and so you know a north star of my parenting with my kid probably more important than really anything to me is that she doesn't grow up with perfectionistic expectations of herself whether that's academic whether that's in sports whether that's in how she looks and we were um <laughs> we were leaving the zoo the other day and she really wanted to ride the train at the zoo in Oakland and the train at the zoo in Oakland goes through the kangaroo exhibit. Mm. And we'd gone in it before at, during the nighttime zoo and she got scared. And so she was all about the train. Then she was like, mama, I'm scared of the kangaroos or the kangaroos there. We asked the conductor, the kangaroos were there. And then she didn't want to see the kangaroos. So we did all this other stuff. And then we're driving home. And we're driving home and she goes, mama, I was scared of kangaroos, but that's part of me growed up meaning growing up (laughs) and i was like yeah you're right and it's important to accept you know when we're scared and 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 when we don't want to do things and she's like yeah accept accepting people is is when people do things differently and i was like yeah that's right and she goes this girl's three and and she goes yeah it's like mama you are not good at painting rocks (laughs) But I love you, mama. And I was like,
0: thank you so much. That is so cute. Oh,
1: my gosh. And so it's this, it's yeah. this massive thread in our communication mm-hmm. about grownups make mistakes. Look, mama and daddy made a good mistake. Look, we're being nice to each other even though we made a mistake. Look, we're helping in this way. As opposed to how many of us were brought up in the 80s and 90s where – Mistakes were looked at as something that needed to be punished. They needed to be eradicated. And so there's this beautiful healing that can happen. And, and I find that nothing is more motivating, especially for women, because we have perfectionistic body ideals coming at us in addition to all the other academic and work expectations that that men often do. Um, but I don't find anything as motivating as wanting our children to grow up free from perfectionism mm-hmm. in that way.
0: That's such a sweet story. That's so cute. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and it makes me very curious to hear a little bit more about, you know, what we can do. I, there's no, like, full inoculation from this because yeah. they're going to be growing up in a culture that prizes perfectionism. But in terms of, you know, ways that we can can model it or communicate about it, it's funny. I was As you were talking about that, I was thinking in my line of work, I'm mostly working with adults who are sharing the things that didn't work. (laughs) So I have, and I have my own experience of things that didn't work. So I have like infinite amount of information about parenting stuff that goes wrong. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. We know what not to Uh, do. Lots of information about what not to do, (laughs) but I, you know, most people that, that come to me are not coming to me saying, wow, my parents did a really good job modeling this for me. You know, I feel so equipped. I feel so, you know, settled within myself because my parents, you know, did X, Y, or Z. That conversation has never happened Mm -hmm. in a session. Um, Mm -hmm. So I'm curious, you know, for you, well, first of all, you know, I think a lot of us came from homes where that wasn't being modeled for us, that sort of self-compassion, that gentleness, that um, grace for our imperfections. And it sounds like, you had that experience or you didn't have that experience that that was modeled how did you start to shift that for yourself and then what do you feel parents can do who really want to do what you're doing and and not have their children grow up with the burden of perfectionism yeah. on their shoulders oh this is such
1: a good question <laughs> it warms my heart <laughs> um, so one thing that when you have a child, may drive you nuts, fair <laughs> <way>. <laughs> is you will accidentally find yourself using language that's very achievement oriented, mm-hmm. that equates achievement with worth, which is where perfectionism really finds and takes hold and takes root. Yeah. And so I would be, it, it was wild. There's all of these subconscious ways that our society influences us. And mm-hmm. so I would find myself saying things that were not values aligned. Mm-hmm. So for instance, I am like the most feminist and like trans oriented, like I'm all about like non-binary gender identity. I'm all about that. And yet when we were playing with stuffed animals and things like that, I would automatically refer to he mm. as the pronouns. And it still happens. It drives me nuts. <laughs> You're looking at your turtle at the zoo. And I was like, he, I was like, why am I deferring to he? And so really being conscious of that. And I remember when she was really, really tiny, I mean, baby, baby, baby. And, you know, she's playing with a plane or something. And I was like, Oh, you could be a pilot or you could be a dentist or you could be whatever. And I was like, Oh my gosh, like you're putting expectations on a six month old of her like career. That's like so gross. And so it's all about, you know, Oh, do you like playing with that? Or, Oh, you know, do you want to, and then you name all of these fields that for me were deemed as not the perfect thing to do mm-hmm. and offering that as options. So the kid doesn't get messages of, Oh, this is what you should want. And this is what you should right. want.
0: Uh, yeah. It's so funny. I even noticed myself doing that because, um, she's kicking a lot Mm -hmm. and I'm like, Oh, she's a little tap dancer, you know? And it's like, well, no, maybe not. Yeah, Um, (laughs) Yeah, exactly. But it's so easy to see children doing things. And then we sort of look at it through this adult lens of like, Oh, you know, maybe you have natural aptitude for this and maybe this is something that you want to, you know, focus on. And it's like, no, they're just children (laughs) doing children's stuff and playing and whatever. And it doesn't mean anything. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But that, 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 programming is is strong
1: it's so much and you know there's this data that kids you know if you're drawing with a child and they say oh draw a lion and then you actually draw a line and they're drawing like you know random squiggles because they're a kid right. and so kids will actually stop drawing and they'll say no you draw it mm mm-hmm. And so, one thing that I do with my daughter is like, I don't draw. Well, I also can't draw, but <laughs> I won't draw, you know, like in the lines, you know, in adult ways mm-hmm. with her. I will draw at the level that she's drawing. Oh, interesting. Because it's, it's the whole idea of, you know, we're constantly, you know, you'll see people doing baby flashcards and all this stuff. Like, we're constantly teaching our kids to just go to the next level. Whereas a lot of kind of this next wave parenting and Janet Lansbury's work and all of this is about, that our children's development is inevitable if we just let them take their time. And I'm sorry, what baby
0: flashcards.
1: <laughs> oh, Oh, people will tell themselves <laughs> that their babies can read. Okay. Like nice. you, you get ready, get ready. Oh, be careful, Lord. Beware of the internet mom groups.
0: Get ready. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. There's so, yeah, I just, I see it all the time. There's just so much projection happening. Well, and maybe this, I don't even know the question fully yet, but there's something about, you know, parents defining their own worthiness or trying to fill some gap mm. in their own sense of self-worth yes. through their children, which feels like an aspect of perfectionism. It's like, yeah, I must be perfect, therefore my child must be perfect because they're this extension of me, they're this reflection of me, which is... But unfortunately, very common way of relating to children that I've observed. And it's it's pretty tragic because then that doesn't give the child the opportunity to have their own subjective reality and experience. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, and there's also this archetype of, you know, motherhood in particular. And this dovetails a lot with sort of, I think, how women are raised and disordered eating and, you know, even trauma. There's this archetype of a quote unquote good mother being the mother who sacrifices to no end and can sacrifice to the point of losing herself. This is why the giving tree is such a problematic book Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, of just like giving until you are no longer. And so you do see people lose themselves and their perfectionism is, is coming out in, in their pressure towards their children. And that's that intergenerational piece where, if I am perfectionistic and I think I am never good enough, then the hope to be good enough is going to be on my children, right. and then my kids have to do X sport and they have to get into this college and they have to do this one as a profession, and then I will be legitimized as a parent, mm-hmm. and it's a guaranteed road to just continue the cycle along the generations
0: and and put our kids in a in a state where they're not going to feel good enough. Mm-hmm yeah that makes so much sense. It's funny you bring up the Giving Tree. I was just made aware yesterday that there's a new version with an alternate yeah. ending and that's about boundaries. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I loved that. You know it's so funny though that uh that book was was really impactful for me as a child, but I think and maybe maybe this was an intended message from it. maybe it wasn't, but to me, it was a lesson about sustainable practices. <laughs> I love that. It was like, oh, like if we want the world and the planet to be okay, then we can't just keep taking, 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 taking because eventually there's going to be nothing left to take. I love that. Yeah. So, but yes, I fully see the other side of it. And I think women are conditioned and expected to give until we are depleted to a level that's just... I don't even know the word for it. Um, yeah. It's this kind of martyr mentality. Yes. That's
1: yeah, Martyrhood and perfectionism sort of go yeah. hand in hand.
0: Can you expand on that a little bit? Cause that's. Oh yeah. I like, talk about this all yeah. day. Let's, let's, do, let's do it. Let's yeah. talk about it. <laughs> okay.
1: We're going down the motherhood road. That's cool. So, so if you think about, you know, and, and I often ask my clients to do this, But if you think about what comes to mind when you think of the perfect mother, you know, you probably picture someone and that person might even have a certain body type, a certain skin color. They might dress in a certain way. And even when we think about that, we can see all these problematic threads that have just embedded themselves in our self-conscious, not because we're bad people, but because we are swimming in this water where all of these expectations are put upon us. Mm -hmm. And so then you think about that martyrdom and that sacrifice and always putting kids first. And we were talking about perfectionism and sometimes perfectionism gets bad enough. We sort of lose sight of what we really want and what we really enjoy. And it's interesting, you know, people are sometimes shocked when I, like last weekend um, my team had a retreat uh, in the North Bay, like at this beach house. And we like did yoga and like, hung out and drank wine <laughs> and, and people were like, Oh, and I went and I went a day early. Um, cause we had the house for two days, even though we were going to retreat for one day. And I was like, I'm going to go early and sit in this house and, and just like listen to country music by myself. <laughs> and, um, people were like, Oh, you're leaving, you know, your husband alone for an extra day mm-hmm. and, and to single parent for today. And I was like, yeah, yeah, I am. And it's going to be great. And he's going to be fine.
0: Yeah.
1: But sort of the idea of women, you know, taking any time for themselves is so outside of our um, society's just understanding of what women do that we have to brand it and label it as self-care. Right. Like it's not just living. Right. It's like <laughs> something we have to like take a bath. It's like right. this huge thing. And we would never say that to men. Um, and nobody ever, you know, asks men like, are you getting enough time away from the baby when they're fathers? Right. Cause they don't have to never heard that in my life. <laughs> <laughs> and so, you know, it's part of that humility that, that we can't be, you know, the idyllic parent 24 seven and we can't be on 24 seven and we can't be infinitely patient and infinitely self-sacrificing all the time. And we are allowed to have engaging, fulfilling lives outside of experiences that we share with our children.
0: Yeah. I was thinking as you were talking about that, almost like this sort of suffering is a badge of honor. Like if, yes. if I'm overwhelmed, if I'm, yeah. <laughs> you know, constantly giving and giving and giving to the point that I'm actually suffering in a lot of circles, that's like, Oh, yay. Good for yeah. you. You're being a good mom. Whereas if you take a day for yourself to, you know, sit by the beach and listen to country music, it's like, well, what are you doing? Yeah. This isn't part of the script. Like, yeah, <laughs> exactly. And it's, um,
1: Oh, you mentioned, what was the word that you used? Oh, Oh, now it's gone. I'm so sorry. But just this idea that
0: no, I'm still totally gone. Sorry.
1: <laughs> Imperfect podcast.
0: Perfect. <laughs> Perfectly imperfect. Yeah. Well, I don't know if it had to do with this sort of suffering as a badge of honor
1: sort of thing. Oh, that yeah. was it. Thank you. Yeah. It was um, just the culture where busyness is viewed as yeah. some kind of, you know, just that you are on moral high ground if you're always busy or always too busy and never have a moment. Mm-hmm. Like that is something that Americans just consider this wonderful thing. Like you must be in demand. You must have so many important things going on in your life. And it just, Oh, it's exhausting for me to even think about.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's true. It's been interesting, you know, going from living in the Bay area, like we started in San Francisco and then we moved a little bit outside the city and now we're, you know, a couple hours away. And it's just interesting as I've moved further from San Francisco (laughs) People yeah. seem to have fewer slashes in their titles. It's like, oh, I'm a tech entrepreneur slash coach slash sound healer slash whatever. And it's like, and great, like more power to you if that's what you're doing. But, you know, it seems like the further away from that sort of cultural epicenter, it's like, oh, I'm, you know, I'm a firefighter or like I do something else. And it's, <laughs> and it's like, yes. oh, cool. Like you can just do your thing and it doesn't have to be a hundred things. Um, yes. Yeah,
1: I've I've told my my work wife, my coworker that if that if the phrase "Oh, I wear a lot of hats" come out of my (laughs) comes out of my mouth, to just stop me and like (laughs) bring me on meditation retreat for a week because I got to get my life together.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it's yeah, gosh, yeah, and I've certainly been there myself, and it's like, yeah, it's taken it's taken a lot of reorienting, just what I value and and what I feel like makes me valuable which has taken quite a few years of of reflection and a lot of play too I think like play is something that is not talked about in healing that often Mm -hmm. that I feel like I I don't know this for sure about you but I just intuitively feel like that's something that you're good at (laughs) which I love. <laughs> yeah. Cause it's just, I mean, we can navel gaze all day long and we can talk to, you know, therapists, which is in- incredibly valuable. There's something too. I think, especially when we're dealing with perfectionism, like learning to just be a little bit of a mess sometimes or just laugh mm-hmm. about something or do something silly you know, like ecstatic dance was something that was helpful for me. <laughs> I don't know if you've ever, have you ever done that?
1: No, it sounds great. Oh, it's <laughs> great. Yeah,
0: it's just a bunch of people like getting in a room to music and basically just being really weird and like moving however your body wants to move and there's no yeah. like, formula, there's no, um, you're not being graded on your dance performance. In fact, you know, the people that seem to be having the best time are often people that would traditionally be seen as, terrible dancers like myself
1: um (laughs) this is right up my alley yeah this sounds great it's great
0: yeah there's a couple in the bay area but yeah things like that that just invite us to step outside of this very performance-based evaluation of self and move into more experiential god forbid even pleasurable you know experiences how dare we (laughs) yeah it's true.
1: And it's, it's something that um, we talk about a lot when we talk about healing in the course is really coming back to values and, and what in act we call values-based living that I'm sure you're familiar with. And that as we move farther from perfectionism and as perfectionism kind of takes up less of the pie chart that is our lives and we start to shrink it, that we have this extra space and we can decide what we want to do with that space. Mm-hmm. And I love that you mentioned play because you know, for many of us, if there was a situation where we were when we were children, where we had to act older than our age, where we were parentified, when we were dealing with trauma, even we were just dealing with high expectations, we may not have had all the opportunity to play that we deserved when we were kids. And so, to be able to like you know go on retreat to the beach and do cartwheels, you know, in Marin. (laughs) is a wonderful thing and and to allow ourselves that and especially as we're talking about, you know, trying to eradicate perfectionism from intergeneration intergenerational transmission as we parent, you know, to have our kids see us playing, to have our kids see us being silly, to have our kids see us be like totally behind on work like my desk is a dumpster fire right now <laughs> and like I don't care like it's not a big deal mm. I used to tiny sidebar I used to always get my notes done like within 24 hours if not 48 hours was the longest mm. now what I do is once a month <laughs> I go to a coffee shop on my day off and I do them all at once oh wow
0: that's I'm going to keep that for the future. <laughs>
1: it's amazing. I love it. I love it. And I just ripped the bandaid off and it's great. Yeah. But I would have found that like sacrilegious before mm. I had a kid because my perfection was just like how – and I didn't understand other people who were behind. Yeah. It's like, how could you? It's very funny.
0: Yeah. I'm so glad you brought in this piece about values because I feel like – with with eating disorder and recovery or eating disorder recovery, yeah. that was especially especially important for me. Um, but I think this yeah. applies so broadly. It's like if all of our attention, all of our energy, is focused on appearing a certain way, mm. we miss out on, on all of this like rich complexity that we have going on in our in ourselves. And we all, I think, I don't think there's a human alive who doesn't have something that they value that's beyond that. And we may never get in contact with that. If, if all we're ever doing is just trying to match this, this image of, of what we think perfect looks like. And so a huge part of my recovery was starting to actually get in touch with what was valuable to me beyond just trying to be acceptable by looking as, you know, what it, normatively hot as I was able to achieve, you know?
1: <laughs> I love that. I love that so much. Yeah. Yeah. One of my best, one of my favorite stats about, um, body image is that our body images improve as we get older. It's yeah. always one of my favorite. Cause it's like, I'll hear the crow's feet and there's the the lines between the eyes <laughs> and there's the grays and there's the like, Gravity doing its work, and it's (laughs) it's great. I love it. I mean, it's wonderful. (laughs) But there's freedom and imperfection that that just I've had people feel younger than they've ever felt in their lives because it was the first time that they felt that they really um, Mm. weren't constricted by those Mm. kind of expectations.
0: Yeah, it's so counterintuitive. (laughs) It's so (laughs) counterintuitive, but I've had a similar experience. It's just you know. I have things going on physically that I'm sure my 20-year-old self would just be yeah. aghast, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, eh, it's fine. It's totally fine. Yeah. <laughs> I don't care. This <laughs> has yeah, a relief. Yeah. Well, first of all, I just want to say thank you. It was so nice to have this conversation today, especially just after not sleeping at all <laughs> last night. <laughs> And But I feel like you create this presence of like, you know what, it, it, it's all good. Like we, it doesn't have to be perfect. I didn't feel pressure to be, you know, articulate or on or whatever. It was just nice to get to connect with you and, and learn from you. And I, I would love for people to to know more about where they can find your work and a little bit more sure. about your program. Absolutely, yes. Um,
1: So, if folks are interested in the course, it's open for a little while longer. Um, The website is drjenniferdouglas.com. And if you go to slash courses, you will find it. Um, I have been so, so happy with folks' responses to it. And it's also something I want to make available even for folks who are not, you know, in a financial state to spend a lot of money. And so, if that's something that you need a bit of help with, just send me a direct message on Instagram. I can be found at Dr. Jen official, and I want to make it accessible to as many humans as possible. This is literally the thing that I wish I had 20 years ago and I couldn't find it out there. So I just made it myself.
0: Yeah, Oh, that's so cool. You're a brave woman inviting DMS. Oh
1: man, it's, it's a lot.
0: I don't get back to them immediately. <laughs> it's a lot to keep up with. <laughs> but
1: I so appreciate you having me and this is such <laughs> such a rich conversation and I just love the the weaving together of just identity and working through trauma and working through body image and disordered eating and then womanhood and motherhood and there just there aren't enough spaces where we can show up and we can show up as our messy, authentic selves. And I am grateful that you create this.
0: Mm, This It's a good thing. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure.